Amanda here. From Dante to nonfiction to reading experiences from others' cultures, we bring you an eclectic list from our Book Fair Challenge Reads, featuring our listeners in their own voices. Bonus, Tiger Woods hot take from Elizabeth. So there is something for everyone in this episode. So jump on in with us. Hi, I'm Trisha. I'm Amanda. I'm Elizabeth. And welcome to Book Fair Podcast. Do you love books or do you want to? Are you tired of picking up the latest new release and finding it's filled with junk you don't want in your life? Has motherhood somehow made your brain a dusty shamble? Friend, you are in the right place. We are three friends and mamas on a mission to create a fun bookish community pursuing a deeper life through the reading life. We are your trusted source for books of all flavors. Always grounded in truth, goodness, and beauty. So if you're ready for scrumptious literary fare among friends, grab your cup of coffee, your load of laundry, or the steering wheel, and pull up a seat at the table. Welcome back, everyone. We are officially in the holidays So happy, you know, a little bit late Thanksgiving, everyone. Girls, how was your Thanksgiving? So good. It's really good. Had some lovely time with my sister's family from out of town. Oh, that sounds lovely. Elizabeth, I know you traveled. We traveled to Alabama and we got to bring a girlfriend home this year, which that has never happened in our family. New things are fun. (laughs) It was. I I said that like it was. It was very, very fun. We love Uh her. It was fun for everybody else to meet her. So (laughs) new seasons. That is great. We headed out of town to Orlando just with some things going on with our kids and we wound up doing a combination of family and hiking and Disney and it was really fun. It's really fun. A little bit less traditional in some ways, but it was really good. Right. Traditions are just the things that happen. So you you just whatever happens is a tradition. That is right. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of the holidays, we are doing a Christmas book club right now. And for the second time, we are doing a live Zoom book discussion one week from today, December 5th, Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. I'm going to say that one more time in case someone's grabbing their pen as they're, you know, driving or something. December 5th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. It's a Tuesday night. We are all going to get on Zoom and have a group discussion about this lovely, lovely book, Letters from Father Christmas by J.R.R. Tolkien. It's just light and breezy. It is not too late to read it. it is not, too. Yes, mm-hmm. it is I not too late. I just started it this morning. I'm so mad that I'm doing it on audio, if that shapes your decision at all, because there are pictures that we're missing. Yes, I got the Kindle version, and it includes, um, it's so cute, it has the photos of the actual letters he wrote, so you get the handwriting, Sweet. like, he would make, <laughs> like, um, and this is Tolkien we're talking about, he would, because Santa Claus is very old, he would write it real squiggly, like Shaky. it was a real old person <laughs> writing it, um, and the little sketches and things are in there, So, th- but then it also has the, like, typewritten Text. story, so you don't have to read the shaky handwriting. <laughs> I kind of want to. Yeah. (laughs) This is awesome. This is um, the my favorite illustrations of any book club we've done yet. And 
This is the shortest book we've ever done. It's two hours. So even Tuesday night at 6.30 Eastern, it's not too late. <laughs> so you can join us. <laughs> so that's going to be really fun. And then we will edit that discussion down to be the next episode of the podcast, which is always really fun. So not only get you to join, you get to be in an episode. So please join us. It'll be super, super fun and festive. Those details will be in the show notes below. And we did this with the Island of Sea Women. And I learned so much from everybody's comments. And it was so helpful and lovely conversation. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what everybody has to say about a Tolkien Christmas story. Yay! So, so fun. All right, Elizabeth, you have a giveaway for us. Hey, it's the season of giving. And if you want to give us a present, then you can go on and leave us a five-star rating and a review. Now, right at this moment, we're going to hand out a little prize because every time you do go on and leave us a rating, a five-star with a nice thing that someone needs to know out in the world so that they can say, hey, I'm going to listen to that podcast. If they didn't know us or if they didn't have a friend to tell them that, you could be that friend via the internet and just tell them. So Erin Russell left us a nice rating. She went into the drawing and her name popped right out this morning. So congratulations, Erin Russell. How she reads any books at all with six children, I am amazed. And she's my hero in many things, but this is just another one of them. So Erin, if you'll contact us, and I will mail you a Book Fair podcast mug so you can have my mug on your mug. <laughs> <laughs> it just came to me, guys. Are you proud? So proud. Good one. Mugs. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Congratulations, Erin. Okay. So this is our Book Fair challenge wrap up. We have had so much fun throughout the year. Um, you know, when we started this book fair challenge and we put out the little nine square bingo looking kind of card um, with all the categories for everyone to participate in this year. At the beginning of the year, I kind of didn't know, like, how is this going to go over? Are people really going to stick with this? Are they really going to, you know, continue to engage? And they really have. Like, it's been so much fun. Periodically throughout the year, people will pop in in the book fair group and show how they're making progress in their challenge. You listeners have inspired me to learn Canva because I was so <laughs> jealous of your little book fair bingo card that has the little uh, picture of the book. Yeah, the little picture of the book cover yes. in the challenge. And so I was like, this can't be that hard. While I was sitting there one night, I figured it out. So Stop. I will be posting my completed book fair challenge bingo card um, tomorrow as a beginning point for the discussion. And we want to see all of your bingo cards. So whether you got into the Canva thing or whether you just checked them, a lot of people just did the marking where they checked off that they did it. Or if you just want to post a list of the books you read for the book fair challenge, we would love to see it. I just think it is so much fun to see what direction everyone took mm -hmm. these categories. So that has been just so much fun throughout the year. And then some of you may not have even heard, but we put out a call for voicemails. We've never done this before either. And um, I will say we had a little bit of technical difficulty for a couple of days. So if you tried and it didn't go through, next time we'll have a little bit better handle on it. But we did get four voicemails through that we want to share. And um, 
we're so excited to have listener feedback on the show. So um, I don't think Amanda and Elizabeth have really heard these yet. So are y'all ready to hear the voicemails? I am ready. I can't wait. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to start out with Allison. And this is what Allison has to say. Hey, this is Allison. I just wanted to share how much I enjoyed the Book Fair Book Challenge this year. It really pushed me out of my comfort zone. And I think the best example of that was the book I chose for a book that intimidates me. I picked Anna Karenina, and I was really nervous going in because I had never read a Russian author before. But I was so pleasantly surprised at how readable it was and how relatable the characters were. Even though it was written so long ago, they had so much in common with people today. And I really, really loved it. So thank you again for posing that challenge. It was so fun to see how everyone was doing throughout the year and see what they were reading. Thanks, ladies. Yay! Good job, <laughs> That is so amazing. Anna That's Karenina. A- that's a big fat book, but it, she's so right. It is just mm-hmm. as today as it was then. And it is easy to read. It's easier than I expected. So, uh, we read it last year for our In Real Life book club. Oh, good. boy, it's a good one. Good job, Allison. Way to push your boundaries a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a big boundary to push, like reading a Russian novel for the first time. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a big thing to do and a thick book to jump in on. So well done. All right, let's see what Miss Heather has to say. This is the Heather who was a guest on the Ray Bradbury episode. I have really enjoyed this challenge. I'm going to pull an Amanda and give not one, but two books. One, Don't Deny, is a book I don't normally read. It's about intermittent fasting, and it has changed my life this year in that it's changed how I eat every day. The second book is Till We Have Faces, A Myth Retold by C.S. Lewis. I put it under the myth category. This book has so deeply impacted me not in just my spiritual walk with the Lord, but actually in how I'm reading other literature. So thanks, ladies, for a fun challenge. Heather, Heather. that's awesome. (laughs) I also love Till We Have Faces. Well, and I think she has such a good mix there. I mean, obviously, she gave us two, and they were so contrast. One is for, for right now for my body, and another is for all time for my mind. (laughs) I love it's it. Such such a lovely story and retelling by Lewis. And I haven't heard of the first book. That sounds like a good one. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. I haven't I have read to. it, but I've heard that as a intro to intermittent fasting, delay don't deny is very good. So mm-hmm. super interesting. Okay. Now, Miss Angelina. Hey book for friends, it's Angelina. I was really excited for this year's reading challenge. I think it was just right. It stretched me to read more broadly, but was still light enough not to overwhelm my personal goals and reading lists. The most surprising category for me was poetry. That's not a genre I would have picked up this year without the challenge, but I ended up reading Longfellow aloud to my husband on a road trip, and we both really enjoyed it. It was refreshing to step outside the uh, day-to-day chaos and interact with each other like that. I really hope next year's challenge strikes a similar note. Great job. Keep it up, ladies, and uh, happy reading. Awesome. Ah, I love that That's so much. so sweet that you read that on a road trip. Are all your kids in yeah. the car for this, too? I mean, that's, it's, I guess, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. What a great thing. 
Angelina, I am so glad what you said about the challenge is exactly what we were wanting to do with it. So I'm so glad it hit that way for you. And we will try our best to do that with next year's challenge as well, which by the way, we will be talking about the beginning of January. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. (laughs) Okay. And our last one we're going to share is from my cousin, Stacy. Hey ladies, this is Stacy. I wanted to leave you a quick message about the book fair challenge, specifically the recommended by a loved one. I picked up Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir as recommended by my cousin Trisha, um, <laughs> who I will actually read just about anything Trisha recommends as long as it's not a classic. <laughs> but I love this book. I had a hard time putting it down. I finished it very quickly about a guy who finds himself on a spaceship millions of light years away, but his memory is fuzzy and he doesn't know why he's there or what he's supposed to do. So it's a great story as he discovers his memory and why he's there and whether he's alone in the universe or not. So, so good. I highly recommend it. I love the podcast. I listen to it every single week and I love you girls and I'm excited to hear the next one. Love you. Ah, Stacy, we love uh, you. I love forgot you I really too. wanted to read that book. This is why this is a good thing because <laughs> yeah. I really had that top of my list for a minute and it got scooted. I'm going to put it on next year at the top. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that really is a fun book. It sounds um, so good. Yeah, it's really, really fun. Thank you for giving another um, perspective on that book. I have a feeling more people will be picking it up after hearing that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, of course, I love my cousin. So thank you for leaving your voicemail, Stacy. <laughs> that is so much fun to get some listener feedback. And now we want to hear from everybody. We are going to be starting, um, like I said, a discussion post. And it will be my little nine square book fair challenge all filled out. And I want everyone to reply and tell us what you did, even if you didn't finish it. Just Tell us what you did and what you enjoyed about it. I'm so excited to see all the completed cards. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be the biggest thread of the year. I'm sure of it. (laughs) I'm here for it. That's how I'm going to make my list for next year. Well, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because why not? From trusted friends. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. This group reads great books. They have great recommendations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Really smart people. The most attractive people, too. And... (laughs) Very fun and intelligent. Yes, all, you guys are top notch. This is a great place for me to throw out um, another year wrap up kind of thing. Um, I don't even know if everybody saw it. I think I talked about it one other time, but at the beginning of the year, I threw out a challenge. I don't know if you remember, but the first week of January last year, I'll be curious to see if it is still. It kind of revives around New Year's. But around the first week of January last year, this thing was all over Facebook and Instagram. And it was a little graphic that said, this year, I want my friends to recommend my books. And it said, you know, the first 12 people to recommend a book to me, I will read them like one a month this year. So I thought, well, this is fun. I wasn't (laughs) sure I wanted to do 12 because, you know, I have lots of other reading commitments that I do. So six of our listeners recommended books to me. It I cannot go through all of them right now. I will do a post. Um, but I wanted to thank on the air Lynn, Kate, Allison, Holly, Beth, and Cynthia for recommending these books to me. I read all six of them. I enjoyed all six of them. Like you said, Amanda, this group is just amazing. And even though some were a little bit more in my personal 
like what I would run to than others. Um, I enjoyed all of them. And the one that I probably enjoyed the least while I was reading it, like I was like, uh, is this, you know, what do I think about this? But it had such a beautiful message that I have thought about it a lot. Ah, I love when that happens. You don't enjoy it when you're there, but then it stays with you for so long. I'm going to remember it forever because of the way some things were put together. It was so, so good. So well done, everyone. (sighs) That's awesome. (laughs) So, so amazing. So last thing for this episode today is In wrapping up this book fair challenge, we wanted to share um, a couple of books that we read for the challenge that we have not gotten to talk about this year yet and that we really enjoyed and wanted to pass along to you. So we're going to do this sort of round robin style. We're going to start with Amanda. Uh, Amanda, what was one of your favorite books you read for the challenge this year? I'm going to echo what Allison did and talk about for my first one, the book that intimidated me category, and it was Dante's Inferno. This is a book that I have picked up probably two other times. Started reading. I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. Okay. So I'm just going to say, you can just Mm -hmm. talk directly to me because I'm so intimidated by this book. I've never read it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm listening. All right. So I put it back on the shelf knowing I'm going to try again every time because of how foundational this work is to Western civilization. T.S. Eliot said, Shakespeare and Dante divide the world between them. There is no third. Whoa. The greatest writers, and this is just one of the quotes I found, but the greatest writers in the canon look to Shakespeare and Dante and maybe Milton and maybe one or two others as the top echelon. And the ideas he talks about and the caliber of writing which I'm still processing, are just astounding. So I think not only is it just intimidating for being such a great work, but, you know, I kind of know what it's about. Like, I think I read I read excerpts of it in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of about, like, the circles of hell and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't sound like a very... Like, I'm not drawn to that. I'm like, today, I would like to pick up a book about all the circles of hell. Well, it, I wouldn't say that I had fun reading it, but it was meaty to chew on the ideas in it. And it has really impacted me. So Dante, the character, it, Dante's the main character. So there's Dante, the author, and Dante, the character. But he finds himself at the gates of hell. He says he, he wandered off the straight and narrow. He has to go through hell to get back. There's only one way to go. But he gets one of the greatest poets, certainly of the Greeks, Virgil, to be his guide as they descend through the levels of hell. Each level is home to people who committed a certain sin or a certain group of sins that are related. And their punishments reflect the sin. And something that impacted me about this book was how the punishment reflects the inhumanity or how dehumanized one becomes Mm. when they are pursuing the sin. Mm. It's like a physical representation of what that sin does to the soul. Mm. I want to read to you what it says on the gate of hell. This is very famous. You'll recognize the last sentence, especially if nothing else. I am the way into the city of woe. I am the way into eternal pain. 
I am the way to go among the lost. Justice caused my high architect to move. Divine omnipotence created me. The highest wisdom and the primal love. Before me, there were no created things, but those that last forever, as do I. Abandon all hope, you who enter here. Yes. Hmm. So this is such um, a book that is in the cultural zeitgeist, cultural literacy kind of book. Once you've read this, you will start to see how fundamental it is to a lot of things that you didn't think about before. He talks about the destiny of man, how to find your way out of the wilderness of sin, the integral unity between body and soul, the relationship between love and knowledge, just so, so, so many things that you can chew on just one of these for a long time. How do you think this would be as an audiobook? I used the audiobook. I would have just done it that way, but I wanted some extra accountability. So in the Skolé Sisters membership that I'm in, I said, I'm going to lead this book club. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I remember that. I had to read it a little more carefully. So I did an audiobook paperback combo and highlighted and took notes in there. Because I know I've looked at it before and it's not that long on audio. So I'm like, if I could just do it in audio, I think there's part of me that feels like if I'm going to do a book like this, I should buy a copy and I should (laughs) take notes. (laughs) notes. But as I'm sitting here, I'm like, you know what? I should just stick it in my Audible for next year and just listen to it Mm -hmm. a little bit at a time. Just get Mm -hmm. the experience, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I would recommend. All right. Amanda set the bar very high. One of the greatest books ever written. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Elizabeth. What do, you, what do you got after that? So I have a book recommended by someone you love as The Crucible, which is actually a play, but I'm going to count it. Are we fine Absolutely. with that? Okay. Yeah. I read it in book form, but my older son, Trenton, was an avid reader as a younger, and then through high school, it really fell off for him. But one project he enjoyed in school was The Crucible, and I mean, he enjoyed it. I was not in a space at that moment where I could just run out and grab it, too. But I put it on my list, so two, three years after he did the project, I get around to it. And I will say, you want to talk about books talking to books. This was amazing. It is not a long book. It is not a hard read at all. There are so many things about it that is just kind of ridiculous because it's not our time. Like we're never putting people in jail for thinking that they've sold their soul to the devil. But what could that symbolize to our time? Because this is something that has happened over and over and over again. We are not bright humans, y'all, over and over again during mankind's time on the earth. And I read it actually at the same time as I was listening to a podcast, and this was not on purpose, that someone had referenced an event as witch trials and they were going through this happening. And it was the same thing again, y'all. This is McCarthyism. This is this is any time we other somebody or we make up a big lie to save face in a moment and then we can't back down. It, it was so good. And it just has continued to come up for me through the year. I read it, I don't know, early spring, and I've thought about it all year. And I've gone crucible all over again. Oh, it's the crucible all over again. Oh, well, that's just like... So anytime I can read a book like that, I'm very glad because what it is, is is a story that showed me the nature of man and man for all time. There's nothing new under the sun. And this is a perfect example. 
Um, one of the big tenets of this book, I would say, is truth. And so, you know, I, I doubt it's a spoiler alert because it's such an old story. Even if you haven't read it, you know the premise. So it's it's Salem Witch Trials. And they are, as long as you just say you did it and say you're sorry, it's all over, which also sounds familiar today, correct? Mm-hmm. You just have to give a good apology. And then turns out you're not possessed by the devil anymore. And that's all over and forgiven. And so there is one man who had some trouble. We won't go into that in case you haven't read it. And all he had left was his name that he told the truth. And no one was believing him when he was like, I did not that. No, I'm not possessed by the devil. This is so stupid is basically what he was going at. And his wife is begging him to just like, look, just tell the thing that you don't want to tell. Just tell it. And and let's move on so we can have our life and raise our children together because you're about to be you're about to be hang. And this quote here, she's saying, why? Why will you not? And he was essentially going to have to lie to make everybody leave him alone. And he said, because it is my name, because I have I cannot have another in my life because I lie and sign myself to lies because I am not worth the dust on the feet of them that hang. How may I live without my name? I have given you my soul. Leave me my name. And it was just such a great point in the book when you realize this is how we should all feel that the truth on my tongue matters so much more. I will go to, I will go to the grave if that's necessary. I will not say something that I believe something that is not true just to appease an angry mob of, I won't go into too much, but an angry mob of people who have a wrong belief is, is what we could say for today. I would say every high school kid should read this. I think they would get the bigger in high school. You could say maybe not till college, if so. Whenever you feel like your child begins to politically activate, it's the time to read this book because it's the dangers of witch hunts, which exist over and over and over again. We get that term witch hunt from this book. So it was wonderful. I loved it. I'm so glad I read it. I wish I would have read it right away when he was doing the project so I could have talked to him about it. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Love it. Love it. That's great. Okay. So my first one was in my category of a classic, classic that I never read. And it is Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Do you guys know anything about this book? I'm just, I'm looking it up to see if it's the one I think it is. And if so, I've read it. Isn't there a one by HG Wells? That's right. Also by the same title. Yeah. That's what I've read. Never mind. Yeah. So this is a book. I can't remember where I first got exposed to it, but it is, many people would put it in the top five or top 10 important books in black literature. And it is a masterpiece for sure. I'm going to read you the first two paragraphs. I am an invisible man. No, I am not a spook like those who haunted Edgar Allan Poe, nor am I one of your Hollywood movie ectoplasms. I am a man of substance, of flesh and bone, fiber and liquids, and I might even be said to possess a mind. I am invisible, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. Like the bodiless heads you see sometimes in circus sideshows, it is as though I have been surrounded by mirrors of hard, distorting glass. When they approach me, they see only my surroundings, themselves, or figments of their imagination. Indeed, everything and anything except me. Nor is my invisibility exactly a matter of biochemical accident to my epidermis. 
That invisibility to which I refer occurs because of a peculiar disposition of the eyes of those with whom I come in contact, a matter of the construction of their inner eyes, those eyes with which they look through their physical eyes upon reality. I am not complaining, nor am I protesting either. It is sometimes advantageous to be unseen, although it is most often rather wearing on the nerves. When was this written, Tricia? It was published in 1952. Oh, okay. Is this fiction? Is it a memoir? It is fiction. It is fiction, and it is the story of a young man. It begins in the South. He was brought up in the South and, you know, still in Jim Crow era. And it begins in college. He's very bright. And this young man goes to a prestigious Black college. And... It is a story of what happens to him there. There's some complicating incidents and he winds up having to leave and he flees to New York to try to find work. And then all the things that happen to him when he's displaced to New York. It is fascinating. It is so well-written. The language is amazing. All the symbolism, the way that he is showing it's very clear that he is showing a lot of different things about what it means or what it meant to be Black at that time, both in the South and then in the North. And he uses all these little incidents to kind of show the different aspects of things. It was not a fun read. It's like you were saying, Amanda, I went say like, this was fun. Um, but I am so glad I read it. I, I feel like it was a really important journey for me to take and to be in his head and his heart and see all of these different things that he went through. And the whole point of him, the invisible man, the thing that I just read to you at the beginning, essentially is where he is at the end. So he comes to this conclusion by the end of the book that I'm invisible. Like mostly in life, I'm just invisible. He's been through all these things. And so there is some nihilism in it for sure. Like some, where do we even find meaning? If all of this is true, where's the meaning? Mm. And what a great challenge for our own brain then, because just if it's his conclusion does not mean it's ours as the reader. And what a great opportunity to exercise that thought process for ourselves. Yes. And just such a great opportunity to deeply walk in someone else's shoes and see a life through their perspective. He clearly wrote the book to share his experience and his viewpoint and to show through story what it is like to walk around as a black man in those situations that Mm -hmm. that he was in. So it was one of those books that I think I had been avoiding because I knew it wasn't going to be a fun ride. I knew it wasn't going to be, you know, easy, but I am really grateful that I said, okay, when I looked at the book fair squares and I was like a classic, I haven't read, this has been on my list. I really want to read it. I believe it's important. I got the audible and I bookmarked. I've actually caught up on my commonplacing except for this book because I bookmarked so many things in this book. Yeah. Yeah. I I bookmarked so, so many things that I'm, you know, I'm going to have to go back and and find it all. So, oh, the other caveat I wanted to give is just that it's definitely R-rated. Just some of the situations. um, There's not, there's some language in it, but it's not all the way through, but there are some hard things. There's some hard things. There's some violence. There's some, you know, sexual experiences. To me, it's very appropriate as an adult read. But from a content perspective, if you have certain triggers about any of those things I just mentioned, you may want to read some reviews before you pick it up. 
Okay. What an important story. Yeah. All right, Amanda, I think you have another one for us. So my second pick is I'm taking a page from Angelina, and I'm also going to talk about the poems that I read. And I chose six poems for this challenge because I learned that from Charlotte Mason. (laughs) Because she teaches to get to know an artist, a painter, a composer, a poet, read, look at, listen to six-ish of their works. And then you get a pretty good idea of them as an artist. To get a tone. And you can, yeah, Yeah. and they become a friend. Yeah. You can kind of build a relationship with that work. Okay, so I chose Wendell Berry. I've been wanting to read his poems for a while. And I've mentioned I got this day, Collected in New Sabbath Poems. And it's, there's a lot of Sabbath poems in here. He has thought a lot about the Sabbath. (laughs) And I really appreciate that because I haven't. And... He was a farmer. He's still alive. He's about 90 or so. He does not like a lot of the technology. He uses a typewriter. He has a landline (laughs) even now. He's in Kentucky. He's a farmer. And his love and care for land just shines through all of his work. He talks a lot about time and how the way man cares for the land reflects upon him. And peace is harmony between the land, people, and God. So I am going to read a very short poem. Oh, here's something he says in the introduction. The idea of the Sabbath gains in meaning as it is brought out of doors and into a place where nature's principles of self-sustaining wholeness and health are still evident. Hmm. I thought that was lovely. Here's a very short poem. This book is divided. The chapters are like each year. He wrote about Sabbath poems from 1979. So I want to say 2013. So this is 1979, poem 10. Whatever is foreseen in joy must be lived out from day to day. Vision held open in the dark by our 10,000 days of work. Harvest will fill the barn. For that, the hand must ache, the face must sweat. And yet no leaf or grain is filled by work of ours. The field is tilled and left to grace that we may reap Great work is done while we're asleep. When we work well, a Sabbath mood rests on our day and finds it good. Oh, that's beautiful. Wonderful. (laughs) Right? He is just the best. What a treasure. He and Dick Van Dyke, can we just stick in a safe room? Oh, yeah. Yes. I'll have to go to bed for a week when either of those. Mm -hmm. Thinking about the Sabbath more has really been lovely, Mm -hmm. and I'm very grateful for that. Wow. All right, Elizabeth. Um, Quick joke. I had written a whole thing about how L.M. Montgomery was the author that I decided to read. And guess what? That was December of last year. So I had to redo it all this morning. But (laughs) I think that showed that I liked her. But I can't bring it in. I have to redo it. I read plenty of new authors. So that was not a hard one to redo. So I'm going (laughs) to plug in David Epstein. I have a friend that's been telling me to read Range for, I would say, well over a year. I might have talked about it briefly on here already. I don't. I don't know if I did, but I am losing my mind still two weeks after finishing this book. It is so good. I really want to read more of his books. Um, Elizabeth texted me and said, you have 
to read this book. Our and I said, I'm going to do it. And I wanted to make sure she didn't like snooze on that one. I was like, yeah. if you have to start it now, if you have to take all your vitamins to be sure you can be there, like you are going to love Amanda will really love this book is why, you know, when you know, someone will love it. So he is, I mean, basically this is, this is like an economist study. An economist asks questions and says, is what we think is true? Is it true? Why do people do the things they do? Let me dig into this random fact. And so basically he exposes the 10,000 hours principle for learning anything and becoming a master at anything. The name of this book is Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And so I would say you could read this book even as standalone chapters over a longer period of time if you're not a reader. He has this same concept that he demonstrates throughout different areas of our world. And the first one is sports. Which, you know, all these mama and dads out there getting their kids and, you know, the most specific baseball coach at six years old so that they can move on to and be a pro. When you, I remember hearing years ago that the statistics of the kids who win the Little League National Championship or what is it, Little League World Series, almost none of them go on to play professional ball. None of them, which is, it's kind of shocking, like, oh, you would think almost all of them do. And there's a lot of reasons about that. But he exposes the idea of, is it better to pick one thing for your child before they can even decide what they like and say, you're going to be good at this, as Tiger first chapter Tiger Woods' dad did with him. I mean, it wasn't just playing golf. It was... um how to deal with the media, how to answer questions, how to shield your private life, which obviously that one fell off. But <laughs> it was every aspect about how to be a professional golfer, not just ball and the tee and the club, every single aspect of it. And so he was a robot. And, he, and it is why we have the 10,000 hours principle was his life. But he compared him with Roger Federline in the first chapter, whose mom was a college tennis coach. And she said, oh, my child can play anything but tennis because coaching my child in tennis sounds awful. And so he played everything but tennis, both casually, ballpark, organizations, any kind of thing until he was like later teenager where he said, I guess I'm going to have to get somebody to teach me to play tennis. And then he ended up being one of these great, great, great tennis pros. And in a world that, or they were about the same time. And so they, they pit them against each other is, is one's method better than the other. And that's how you open the book is specializing better than a generalist view of, and they go through separate subjects like first is athletics. Second chapter is music. Oh, we have some music children in my house, especially, especially my oldest. I just thought if you read nothing but this chapter, you will love this so much. Um, it goes into how we learn and teach math, how we let our children struggle versus tell them the right answer. Cause you need to think this as a parent, it was challenging and validating, validating in some things I already believe, but challenging and oh no, it's so much farther than that. You have to go more into this principle. As my own body and mind of a 41 year old, all I could hear was, it is not too late to learn something new. And I just found out this morning that Dick Van Dyke has just learned to play ukulele at 90 whatever years old. 
And that was just, again, I'm going just like in range where they say, keep learning the experiences, even your failures. He suggests build towards your abilities today. Things that you would have never even put in the wheelhouse as important. Even failures that you didn't even know you learned anything from. It is absolutely immeasurable how much we do learn from them. So everybody needs to read this book. And I've already looked up several other of his titles that I think, oh, I'm going to go deep with this author. And I'm Mm. not a big nonfiction reader, but he just... I mean, I was three sentences in like, oh, this is good. This is a great recommendation. And this whole idea of generalist versus specialist really goes to worldview. It does. In a lot of ways between classical education and say the kind of education I grew up with, where unless you have a PhD in something, you can't really know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't really do your own learning or anything on it um, versus the generalist outlook That's really more of a whole human kind of approach that because we are images of God, he is creator. We are like pseudo creators. We're like little mini creators. Sub creators. And all of his attributes. Yeah. And all of his attributes are like that. Yeah. You know, we can all enjoy music. You don't have to be Mozart to know to an extent and enjoy it. So right. this book... I have got to read this you, book. No, this, this is book right is what I love to talk about. Tempered for any reader in that it has yeah. statistics and facts and stories to illustrate them. That sounds so good. Okay, my next one is the same category, an author I have not read before. And this is a book that I heard a lot about when it first came out. And I bought it on Kindle, I think when it was on sale. And it's been kind of sitting there waiting for me. And about a month or six weeks ago, I picked it up. It is called A Woman is No Man by Etoff Room. And it is contemporary fiction. It came out in 2017. It is written by a Palestinian American woman who was born in Palestine. And, but the most of the story takes place here in the U.S., And it is a story told from three perspectives from the main, I would say the main perspective is the mom who we see her whole life starting in Palestine till when the story ends. And then we also start getting the perspective of her mother-in-law who she comes to live with in the U.S. when she marries. So she grows up in Palestine and then she has an arranged marriage with a man who brings her to New York. So her mother-in-law that has been in New York longer than she has and is kind of the matriarch of the family here in America, and then her daughter. So you get these three generations of Palestinian American women and the story of their family and what life is really like for this woman, these women. I could not put this down. I started it. It hooked me right away. And I read it in like three days, which for, you know, a paper book, I just was always like, if I have 10 minutes, I'm going back to read this book. It is... Etoff Room's first novel. And in some ways you can tell, um, there were times when I felt like I was reading something that was a little bit more commercial. Um, But the writing is strong enough to pull you through. And I think one reason I probably was kind of paying to pick it up is just because of all the current events happening now with the war in the Middle East. Kind of has me thinking about those cultures. So it's definitely a good time to read it from that perspective, like to be thinking about you know, from all angles, these, these different cultures that are clashing. Mm -hmm. This woman 
was so brave to write this book. After you read this book, she talks about she's essentially shining a light on the way women are treated in that culture and some of the abuse that goes on and the lack of choice and agency these women have. And she talks about in interviews, the the book had several afterwards of interviews with her and things that she said, y'all, I have never underlined so many things in an afterward. Like the way she talked about how hard it was for her to even choose to write this and how she has lost so much of her family and community for writing it Mm. and how much she struggled with writing it because she didn't want to just confirm the stereotypes about that culture. She's like, you know, we already struggle with you know, everyone thinks we're a terrorist. Everyone thinks our culture is just about violence and some of these things that make the news. And I already struggle with this. Am I going to add to this pile on of negative ways other people view our culture? But she ultimately decided, I have escaped and found freedom and a voice and education. And if I can, I will tell the stories of and for these women so that hopefully they can find freedom and so that people can support them in finding freedom. I mean, like, it's making me teary, like just talking about it. Elizabeth, you and I have talked about reading um, A Thousand Splendid Sons and The Kite Runner and loving his work, which which takes place in Afghanistan. He's in Afghanistan. And so his stories take place in Afghanistan. And this was very different because most of it takes place in America. Mm -hmm. And so... To see the way some of these things are still happening here in America in these cultures was really eye-opening and really enlightening. Well, I don't know what you've done with the rest of your reading life this year, but what you brought today, Trisha, you have heard the stories of the unheard. And I do not know that there is a more important goal in our reading life. Mm-hmm. What a what an amazing thing to be able to do in our time where books are everywhere and many different ways of consuming them. The opportunity to hear someone's story that lived their whole life feeling unheard and were largely unheard or unseen. How much can we improve civilization by just hearing someone else's story? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I really feel that. And I'm trying to figure out how to say this. It's, I think it can be a hard line to walk um, as Christian women. But there were things about the experience of these women that touched me and illuminated things about my life and how experiences I have had have been similar to some of their experiences. Now, All the dressings are different. All the outward things are different. Um, But I would venture to say that most women have had experiences where they are treated as inferior or less than or not given choice because of their gender. And if that has never been your experience, wonderful. I celebrate that. (laughs) I celebrate that with you. Um, But there has been some healing for me in understanding and seeing my own experience more clearly by reading this very extreme experience that these women are living through. So it touched me and really impacted me on a lot of levels and I will never forget it, like never. And I am so, so glad I read it. 
That's wonderful. Content warning once again, and especially trigger warning. If you have triggers around um, domestic violence, um, the very beginning of the book, I recommended it to a friend. And she, this is when they're still in Palestine. And she called me and she was like, they beat her for reading. She's like, I cannot handle this. Like, oh. is this the whole book? Like, I, like that particularly was like really, really hard for her. And um, it's not like they, it's one of those books where they kind of set the stage and then the whole book is not that intense. Mm -hmm. But still, if you have triggers around those kind of topics, um, again, do your research, read reviews and summaries by people um, and, you know, figure out if you think it's for you. But I highly recommend it. What a great year, y'all. <laughs> um, for my final book, I'm going to take a hard turn <laughs> and do a comedy. Yeah. Hey, we, we need comedies. <laughs> Hooray. Amanda saves us from the seriousness of the books. Um, and I am going to talk about my reread, which is The Code of the Woosters by P.G. Woodhouse. And so this is in England. This was written in 1938. Bertie Wooster is an earnest young aristocrat, but not too smart. <laughs> His butler, Jeeves, is worlds more educated. He quotes the greatest literature and philosophers, and he brilliantly comes to Bertie's aid time and time again. There's many, many books that he wrote about Jeeves and Wooster. Bertie and Jeeves. <laughs> and just so you know, they speak in a very specific way. There's a lot of great dialogue in these books. And it has all of this slang and way that the British upper crust spoke at this time. They end their sentences with, what? That kind of thing. <laughs> Let's go over here. What? <laughs> and he and his friends have such silly nicknames. First of all, Bertie Wooster and his friends Gussie Finknoddle and Stiffy Bing. <laughs> Perfect. These books are kind of like watching The Princess Bride or Napoleon Dynamite or The Emperor's New Groove, where you come away with lots of things to quote. And when you talk with people who have seen those movies, you laugh, you quote things, you're like, remember when that happened to that? This is how these books are. So I have some quotes from it, but out of context, it might seem more silly <laughs> than it. It's, they're so funny. But in this particular book, Bertie is tasked by his Aunt Dahlia. He has multiple aunts, at least two, I remember, um, to buy an 18th century cow creamer for her. So, of course, it doesn't go as it should. And that plot line becomes tangled with Plotline B, which is the villain fascist Roderick Spode, leads a Nazi-like group called the Black Shorts. <laughs> this is, by the way, based on a real person and a real group and <laughs> from England at that time. And that gets entwined with Plot C, which is kind of romantic entanglement between his friends. So anyway, it, it becomes a mess that only Jeeves can, of course, subtly and deftly untangle. And it's kind of Shakespearean, where you've got these different things going on, and they all become entangled and end up fine at the end. So in his work, and, and especially this one, there's themes such as the servant class maybe is more valuable than the, 
the aristocrats. There's the diminishing and changing role of the aristocracy. For example, Bertie in this one talks a lot about his family's chivalric past and their code, hence the title, the Code of the Woosters. And there's the rising shadow of Nazi Germany in the book. So the writing also is fantastic. If I've already mentioned the dialogue, it's like a snappy 1930s or 1940s screwball comedy kind of feel. I don't know what all the words mean, but they sound funny. (laughs) (laughs) Enough. That's fine. So here's two quotes real quick. I have so many more written down, but he spoke with a certain, what is it, in his voice. And I could see that if not actually disgruntled, he was far from being gruntled. (laughs) So silly. (laughs) And then his other aunt, Aunt Agatha, he describes as Aunt Agatha, who eats broken bottles and wears barbed wire next to the skin. (laughs) It's just, the whole book is like that. It is so funny. Is this what you pulled out after Dante every day? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And I would say, you know, I am not only a completist, but I also generally am a take it in orderist, whatever that is. But in this case, I recommend Code of the Woosters first. Most people think it's his best. It just pulls you right in. If you're going to enjoy one, try Code of the Woosters. If you don't like Code of the Woosters, you're probably not going to like it. But I started with Code of the Woosters and really enjoyed it. And then I went back to the first one and started reading them from the beginning. Um, And they're not quite as good, but they're still like great fun and a lot of like very enjoyable to read. Woodhouse is one of the most prolific writers and really considered one of the funniest writers ever. I love it. And I'm so glad we could- Highly recommend it for a funny read. I'm so glad we could end on a lighter note- (laughs) I was like, these two very serious, but I haven't gotten to talk about these. They're important. I'm going to bring them today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening. I cannot wait to hear what you have to say. One way you can tell us what you have to say is to give us that five-star review in iTunes. Also, check the show notes below for the details on the Father Christmas Letters from Father Christmas by Tolkien is our last book club Christmas book club we're doing it via Zoom we want to do it with you can't wait for that and go to our Facebook group and find the post for this episode tell us what you've read from the challenge maybe it's just one thing and that was your goal and that's great so tell us what you did can't wait to hear about it. And until next time, I'm Trisha. I'm Amanda. I'm Elizabeth. And happy Book Fair Challenge reading. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, subscribe to Book Fair Podcast. Join our private Facebook group. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram or email us at chat at bookfairpodcast.com. And you can help us continue to grow. Share an episode with a friend, mention us on social media, and leave a review in your podcast app. We'll see you next Tuesday.